0: The gospel today is from the book of Luke. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking, whatever they provide for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. When you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet We wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. And now... (laughs) Thank you. Oh, grace to you and peace from God, our creator, redeemer and sustainer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning, church. Hi, folks out there. I'm grateful to be with you on this fourth Sunday after Pentecost and my thanks to Pastor Gina for inviting me and giving me a chance to share the gospel with you. First, I'd like to introduce or reintroduce myself to you. My name is Lee Brandes and I've been a member here at Holy Spirit since 2014, but I haven't been around a lot lately. Here's my story. One Sunday, Early in 2015, I was sitting in the back row of that section right there next to my friend Sharon Klum, and I was minding my own business. And Pastor Mike introduced Liz Culver. And he announced that she would soon be ordained as a deacon in our denomination. I remember that I sat up a little, and I leaned in. I knew I needed to hear this. Hmm. And now I too am a deacon in the ELCA. How did that happen? I can tell you it wasn't anything like today's uh, gospel, right? God's spirit was in my heart and in this place. But the man, Jesus, the incarnation, was not. I felt this call of the Holy Spirit for this work when I was 59 years old, a little gray to be starting something new. So those of you in the back row, watch out. Okay. It turns out that when you're called, you're called. And if the Holy Spirit is involved, hang on to your hat. In my life at that time, I was chewing, grappling with these two big questions. What did God have in mind for me? I was just on the brink, about to enter the third chapter of my life. I knew that part of my work would be about helping my parents take care of themselves and each other. That is heart work, right, that I expected and said yes to joyfully. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. was that the only call that God had for me? The second question wasn't really a question. It had to do with how hard it is to live in this world, to get up every morning with the joy of the Lord in my heart. As you know, there are days when that is really hard to do. People, politics, violence and hunger the state of our country our world all of these things can make it very hard to cope and we didn't even know there was a pandemic coming at the time so one morning i was brushing my teeth with an electric toothbrush and um, you know that if you open your mouth in the middle of this there's going to be trouble because spray happens. So having learned from experience, I kept my mouth shut and I listened. And what came to me was this. Just love people. Just love people. Now, we know that some people are really hard to love. They they make it hard. Okay? I don't have to understand them. I don't have to agree with them, I just love them. So on that Sunday morning, when I leaned in and listened, I heard about deacons and I had a new question. Is God calling me to be a deacon? To love people by serving God and my neighbor in this way? I wrote Pastor Katie an email, and she introduced me to Deacon Liz, and I started on the path toward ordination. How does someone become a deacon in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America? I don't live in first century Palestine. I live in 21st century America. I didn't have the benefit of having Jesus and the apostles in the room saying, do this, do that, now go. To begin, the word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonia, meaning service. And if I have learned anything at all, it is that we are all called to serve. We may have more than one call to serve in different ways as we grow and mature. Some of us have had three. Mm -hmm. The work of the deacon is to empower us in our service to God and each other. And of course, you don't just call up the bishop and say, hey, I want to be a deacon, send me, I'm ready. No, there are steps. The process by which one person becomes a deacon is pretty much the same way that someone else becomes a pastor. In the ELCA, each local area, which we call synods, creates a candidacy committee made up of ministers and lay people who walk along alongside individuals who sense a call from the Holy Spirit to ministry in the church, which we call rostered leadership. The process is long and complicated. It's intended to be a careful, thorough time of assigned studies, a background investigation, psychological testing, clinical pastoral education, which is an internship as a, uh, as a chaplain, and a year-long internship, usually in a congregation. Candidates and churches alike all want to be sure, as sure as we possibly can, that this specific child of God is truly called to the servant leadership of our faith community. Though so I didn't have to answer my question, Am I called to be a deacon by myself? I had help. Together with the candidacy committee, a candidate discerns whether or not they're called to ministry. And is the call to serve as a pastor or a deacon? What's the difference? There's a little review. Pastors are known as ministers of word and sacrament and they focus on the care of the gospel and a a group of people in a specific community. Deacons are ministers of word and service. We also focus on the care of the gospel and in connecting the church with our neighbors, that is, the rest of the world. Together, we listen, we work together, we work on solutions to problems, we share God's love with each other, and love our neighbor on the outside, just as we love the neighbor who sits beside us in church. There are sacraments, sacred moments in the life of the church over which only pastors preside, and there is work that's usually considered diaconal, unless, as is in the case of churches where a pastor is not available, the bishop can give the deacon the authority, the permission to preside over communion and baptism. And there are pastors who work in neighboring communities doing what they can to feed the hungry, help the poor and share God's love with those who don't sit in the pews next to us on Sunday mornings. So you see the work of pastors and deacons overlaps and in fact is woven together very tightly and each one strengthens the other. Back in 1988, when the ELCA was formed, each of the three merging denominations brought with them a group of leaders who are not pastors, who were known as associates in ministry, or deacons, or members of the deaconess community. In 2017, we combined all three, and that is how we have now Ministry of Word and Service, and we call the position deacon. Men and women who were already in that position were grandparented in, and they were not required to do any further preparation. And deacon Tammy, who serves here as director of confirmation, is a great example of someone who served as an associate in ministry for many years and now is called deacon. New deacons are expected to go through candidacy. We we don't all work in congregations. Some are administrators, healthcare providers, artists, musicians, teachers, chaplains, or social workers who serve in a variety of settings. You will see deacons dressed in everyday clothing. Sometimes we wear a robe, the alb, our stole drapes, differently from the pastors. It goes from the left shoulder, across the heart, and is connected at the right hip as a reminder of how Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist to wash the feet of the disciples. Deacons in our synod may also wear the clerical collar, so you might even see that. And one more thing, the deaconess, (coughs) some deacons in the ELCA are also members of the Deaconess community, and this organization is separate from our denomination, and walks alongside serving its people. These deacons who are also Deaconesses may also be referred to as sisters. So yes, we do have Lutheran sisters. I was ordained right here, well, in the Fellowship Hall. Right. hmm We were in the middle of COVID, so so there were seven people there, including me. That was it. It wasn't big, but it was joyous and powerful. I was called by our Synod to serve the Stillaguamish cluster. That is the group of six churches and the Caring Community, Josephine Caring Community, up in North Snohomish County. And that call was to work with those churches in experimenting and trying to find ways to support and partner with each other, not merge, but partner with each other as the body of Christ in and outside the walls of the churches. I worked with Pastor Eric Samuelson, pastor at Faith in North Lakewood, and he wrote grants that allowed us time and space to do this experimenting. Together, with a lot of help from Zoom actually, we were able to increase communication between the congregations. And there's now a healthy group of lay leaders, one or two from all but one of those churches, who are coming up on the first anniversary of their work together. They meet um, twice a month. They read, well, they read and studied and took to heart Susan Beaumont's book called How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going. They've come to understand that they are all in this together. They're stronger together. And they've organized a joint worship and potluck picnic to be held at the end of July. They don't know where they're going, but they're intentionally working on figuring it out together. One of the most important lessons from this experiment is that in order to do this work, there has to be spiritual growth first. We have to build spiritual infrastructure. We do that in a variety of ways. One of them is in studying together, meeting together. This is what we're doing right now, right? So let's look at today's gospel through the lens of 21st century servanthood In these verses from Luke, Jesus has turned his face toward Jerusalem. He is intentionally moving toward the end of his time on earth, and he's preparing his followers for the work that lies ahead. The apostles, those that he chose to work closely beside him, are the small, tightly knit group of 12. He directs the disciples, the larger group, of committed followers to go ahead, be the advanced team, share the good news before Jesus arrives. It's important to note that in Luke two chapters previous, we read that there are women in this group. Hear this. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through one town and village after another, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called the Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Cusa, and Susanna and many others who ministered to them out of their own resources. I cannot help but think, wow, Wow, how great it must have been to be gathered in a group of believers and to have Jesus, God, in person, right there in their midst, giving them instructions. Clear instructions about what they were to do, how to do it, who to go with, where to stay, what to eat, how to recognize when things are going well, and what to do when they're not. Wouldn't our lives be so much easier if we had Jesus right here, letting us know what to do? Jesus, however, was not a micromanaging sort of a leader, right? I wish sometimes that he were, but you know, you can't imagine Jesus standing there with a little clipboard or whatever and specifically saying, okay, you and you, you go here, you do this, or in perhaps giving directions, like what we get today from our GPS, the Global Positioning System, right? Can you imagine? It might sound like, walk east for two miles, turn left, walk five more miles at the fork in the road, keep to the right. No, no, not that way. Turn around, turn around, go back, And then you have to watch out for the merging chariots and the camels in the middle of the road, all of that stuff. God's positioning system doesn't work that way. And we might not listen anyway. Still, Jesus was very clear about some things with this group of 70 or 72, depending on who you read. They were all to go and to do the work together. At those moments in your life when you have had a choice or a decision to make, wouldn't you love to have Jesus in the house? I think there would be less angst, less fretting, no long periods of discernment with a whole committee of people whose ability to listen to the voice of God together might make a huge difference in your life. Of course, the trade-off to having Jesus in the house means that we would have been alive in first century Palestine, living a much more frightening reality than we do today. Life today is terrifying in many places in our country and in the world. I'm just saying there's no occupying army running our country. We have enough food and water to share with people who don't have what they need. We have the rule of law usually and air conditioning in our gathering space, right? And on this day before Independence Day, we still have work to do and we are thankful. If we were part of Jesus' audience that day, we would also have to hear some very scary news that came along with this call. What do you think? What, which is better, clear instructions from the voice of the one who made us or directions handed down over the course of millennia. Jesus speaking directly to us face to face or answers provided slowly over time with deep prayer and contemplation. We do not know what it really felt like to live in those days. Jesus' instructions include a very harsh reality. He tells them point blank Go on your way. I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. When you follow Jesus, there will be wolves. And by that, I mean challenges, challenges to your life and your faith. It was true for the disciples, and it's true for us today. Sometimes challenges come from outside. There are people who mock us. Christianity is not popular in today's culture. Faith unites some families and divides others. Throughout the world, we are challenged by the indifferent forces of nature and corporations who put profits over people. There's evil in the world and we're confronted with it in many forms. Some challenges come from inside, from within our faith community, our family, or even in our own minds when we get stuck on thoughts that harm us, when we forget about God's love for us. It all stems from fear, fear of those who are different from us, fear of the unknown, fear of feeling we might not have enough, or be enough. We are called, and there will be wolves, and we still dare to call God's love and mercy good news. Why? Jesus, the answer is always Jesus, right? You know this, right? Because we have Jesus, the man died and was raised. He defeated death, and his spirit remains not just here in the house, everywhere. We dare to call this good news because our faith is not in people. It is not in political parties or systems of government. Our faith is not even in the church or our siblings in Christ. Our faith is in God. That does not mean that we sit back and neglect to work for the greater good. If we are who we say we are, we follow Jesus way, welcome everyone, and pay particular attention to those who are hungry, poor, lonely, different. Those who have no power in this world. No matter where you live, no matter what, The law of the land is, you are loved by God. You are called to love God and your neighbor as yourself. When you know that, feel that, you will know that you are also called to serve God and your neighbor. If you're wondering just what you're called to do, get quiet. Maybe go brush your teeth and listen. Beloved, my prayer for you this week is that you will remind each other to hold on to these words from Paul's letter to the Galatians, which we heard earlier. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. Amen.